Tell you what, I'm a little, I'm a little sore up here. I'm, I'm like, I'm feeling it right here and here. Yesterday, out of nowhere, I don't know where it came from, but I woke up in the morning and I thought, I'm gonna hulk, hike Baldy Mountain. And then I, I made it about halfway, and uh, I thought, this view is good enough. This will, this will do. Um, so, uh, so it's good to be in worship with you. If you're joining with us this morning, we are. Um, uh, in the midst of this series called At the Table, where we're looking at all the places in Luke's gospel where Jesus sat down and had a meal with people. Super simple. And the reason that we're doing this is because we eat three meals a day. And we know that from these meals come meaningful conversation and life transformation. And we want to connect the dots between what Jesus did and how we live our lives. And use those moments for opportunities of transformation. And um, speaking of hikes, this morning we're going to jump into a, a tough hike. I promise you the views are going to be good. Uh, it's it's going to be a, a huff and a puff to the top. Um, but as we, we read this scripture together, um, I know God's going to speak to us. He has something for each of us in our lives. Jesus sits down at yet another Pharisee's house. We're going to turn to chapter 11 of Luke's gospel. We're going to read verses 37 all the way to, to 54. 37 to 54. Let's hear now God's word. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greeting in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundations of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As you went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This morning, I want to spend some time thinking about the inner life of the Christian. The inner life of the Christian. What did Jesus mean when he compared the outside of the dish with the inside. In the early spring of 2006, a man named Mehmet Kells was working in his 10-acre orchard in his backyard in Turkey. 
he was planting these orange sapling trees in the property, but with each dig, he kept hitting this rock barrier just below the surface. Finally, his curiosity got the best of him, and so he began to investigate, and this is what he found. Look at this picture. Mehmet and his orchard was sitting on a mosaic floor from a 6th century Christian church. And his entire adult life, he had no idea. For years now, they found coins and pottery, artifacts, bones. Mehmet said at the time, he thought that the success of his garden was in the fruit that he could see, the, the oranges and the cash crops. He said he never imagined the real fruit would be underneath. Look at this next picture. You know, we are a culture, I think, that is obsessed with the external life. We make judgment calls all the time on surface level observations. But this morning, I want to talk about the things that most don't see. I want to talk about the parts of your soul that often go unexamined and maybe even buried below the surface. Because as you found, Jesus is at yet another meal. And he's come by a specific invitation. Look at this again in verse 37. Our lesson says, while Jesus was still speaking, this religious leader invites Jesus to continue the conversation over a meal at his house. And I think it's worth noting that in that moment, Jesus is mid-lecture about this very issue of the unseen, unsearched inward life. Look at this again before our passage. Look at what he said. He said, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is full of darkness, your body is healthy, your, your body is full of light. When your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. Without the interior lamp, right, your inner life, Jesus says, is a, a mess. Your inner life is something worth examining. And so this Pharisee, we're told, while Jesus was mid-sentence, he invites Christ to lunch. The, the Greek here is aristao. It means it was a noon meal. And it, much, much like the meals before it, many would have gathered around to listen to this, this conversation. And it seems in this context, the Pharisee wanted to know more. He was looking for a sequel to the lecture. So Jesus steps in, he reclines at the table, and with all these guests gathered around, he's ready to eat. But just as he does, there's a problem. There's an awkward silence in the room. Look at this in verse 38. His host, the Pharisee, was astonished, dumbfounded, to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Jesus failed to wash his hands. I love this story. I wish I would have known this story growing up. Anybody know this story? Right, like mom tells you to wash it before supper and you can just point right there and be like, Jesus didn't do it. You know, in the eyes of this Pharisee, Christ just skipped the most important preparation of the hour. Every proper Jew washed their hands before a meal. But don't bring your own cultural baggage to this because unlike today, right, this had very little to do with hygiene or germs. This was more about an act of looking pious or, or pure in the room. It, it was an external way of saying, I'm with the righteous ones. And it became particularly important if you were in the righteous one's house. To wash in that setting was an expression outwardly of your religious devotion Go through that motion was to, to play the part of a faithful man. And you know, it's interesting to read the purification laws and scriptures. There are many. In fact, the Jewish, uh, the Jewish community was obsessed with this idea. 25% of the Mishnah, of the, the oral Jewish tradition, is soaked in this idea. The issue of purification. 
And still today, in just about every synagogue in antiquity, you will find these cleansing baths tucked in the back entrance of the church where one after another, the people would walk down the steps, purify themselves, and go into worship. And like I said, you can imagine those baths were not filtered. This was not about cleanliness. This was not about hygiene. It was to mark yourself ritually pure. And so this man named Jesus walks into this Pharisee's house, and in front of everyone, he skips the religious cultural ritual. Just imagine that. Johnny comes in and dips his hands, and then Bob comes in behind him and scrubs his up. Bill's behind him, getting his all cleaned up on the towel, and Jesus just walks right by, sits down like a boss at the table. I remember when I was a young kid, um, I went to this place called Moon Farm growing up. It was this little like daycare camp out in the open. And every day at lunch, they would line us up and they would spray our hands with Windex. It was the weirdest thing. I look back at it now, I'm like, what, what were they thinking? But the rules were, if you wanted lunch, you had to have your hands sprayed with Windex. This scene is remarkable, right? Jesus skips the handshake of piety to the offense of every Pharisee and lawyer in that room. And believe me, this was no mistake or lapse of mind. This was Jesus doing exactly what he knew to do. Now, to the host credit, the Pharisee says nothing, right? He's just thinking it. We're told he was astonished. This isn't about biblical rules, though. This is about cultural rules. Think about the cultural rules that happened at the dinner table and in the West, the things that we maybe take for granted that others might step into. It's proper to wait for your host to sit down before you take your first bite, right? Or it's proper to bless the food before you jump in, to put the napkin in your lap, to eat with the utensils from the outside in. This was that kind of moment, but like times a thousand, Jesus had broken the man-made table rules. See, if you want to be righteous, you need to look righteous. If you want to be known as pure, you need to act it. If you want clout, you've got to follow the made-up customs. But as Jesus sits down at this table, he has a completely different mindset. Look at this in verse 39. And the Lord said to him, Now you, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside also make the inside? Just let me ask you, you know, as you sit down for lunch today and let's say you go out to eat and the waiter pours your water, which one matters more to you? Cleanliness on the outside of the cup where they put their hands or cleanliness on the inside of the cup? You know, to Jesus, this is like insane. Why would you believe that the things in the outside make you pure when in reality your life is wrecked? You are so caught up in the things that don't matter, but inside you are anything but clean. And he gives two examples. He says, first, you're greedy. That being, you're a powerful person. You're a wealthy person who takes advantage of others. And he says, second, you're therefore wicked. That being that you are so focused so heavily on the outside that you've never stopped to realize what God sees. And what comes next is now anything but typical table talk. Jesus sort of takes the gloves off today. If you've been following this series at all, you, you should notice how the tone has suddenly changed. There's no longer like dialogue or back and forth. Jesus just throws six woes, six like word grenades into the room. And I say that because a word was a, a woe was a proclamation, a word of grief and judgment 
over the sinful lives of these, these people that are sitting near him. This was not an easy thing to hear. I want to spend some time with these cautions, though. We're going to walk through each one. But as we do that, as before we even begin, I want you to know these were loving words. They were harsh, true, but they were wrapped up in God's love. See, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem now. The cross is right around the corner. He knows time is running out. He, he wants this gathering around him to understand how foolish it is to have fooled everyone around you, making everyone believe in your false piety, and yet forgetting that God sees everything within. And Jesus, in his love, he, he knows that this facade will soon lead to destruction. This summer, my, my neighbors and I, we went on some tree trimming party in our, our front yard, and we had this service come out to give us a quote before we did this and look around. And as they were jumping in and giving the estimate, one of them told us we had poplars. Do you know what poplars are? I did not know what poplars were. Now I know. Uh, if you don't know, poplars are this borer uh, insect that goes into the inside of your, your aspen tree, and once they're inside, you're pretty much out of luck. They just have a feast. You can't stop them. And I asked this person, I said, what can we do? And this, this tree service told me, they said, it's a matter of time. Your tree will soon be dead. Woe is you. Hear me on this. As we walk through these woes, this is super important. I want to invite you to really stop and look inward. Let's look at this first woe, 1142. Now that Jesus has made this indictment, this overarching theme about dishes, he's going to give some examples. This is the first thing he says. He says, you tithe on the outside, but you neglect the justice and love of God within. Now, this is an interesting statement, right? To tithe is certainly an external act. It's a, a biblical thing, a good thing. Deuteronomy 14 tells us this precisely, that every believer should set aside a tenth of that which their fields produce. And still today, if you want to know like where you're at with the Lord, I would say check your wallet. Where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart is. And our money is typically that, that last thing that we want to give up. And I think to tithe is to, to have a sign of maturity and sanctification in your life. And yet Jesus says, it's not the outside that matters, it's on the inside. In other words, you could give all day long. It might look good to others. It might completely uh, fool everyone around you, but if it's overshadowed by the neglect of God's love inside, you tithe for the wrong reasons. See, Jesus doesn't just want our money. He wants our heart. This is the same God who said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So Christ clarifies this. You might be like, okay, what does that mean? He clarifies a second time. He says, woe to you. He says, you love the best seat in the house and the fame in the marketplaces. You love to look good. You fit the part. You got everyone fooled. They believe you have the perfect family, the, the put together house. You are the envy of everyone in town. But Jesus says, you're so caught up in what others think of you. You forgot that what matters is what God thinks of you. you know, money and prestige often go hand in hand, do they not? Both are so easy to hide behind. But Jesus tells us first, he says, you, you can play that part. Yep, you can fool everyone around. You can't fool God. First Samuel 16, we're told the Lord doesn't see as we see. We look at the outward things. He looks within. So now that Christ has gotten the attention of the room, he's going to take his offense to the whole new level. He says, and look at this in verse 44. He says, woe to you. You are like unmarked graves and people are defiled by you without even knowing it. 
Those are fighting words. And here's why. Let me explain this. Jesus has just been scoffed at for not washing his hands, right? And now he names his scoffers the most ritually impure thing a Jew can think of, coming into contact with a dead body. In Jewish custom, to walk over a marked grave would be to find yourself immediately unclean. You didn't go near the dead. If you did, you went through a very strict ritual of procedure and, and protocol and purity. And Jesus has the audacity to call it like it is. He says, you are unmarked graves. People perceive you to be a model of the faith, to be all that's right and good, but they're following these man-made rules along with your refusal to believe in me, and you're leading them to destruction. I think it's kind of a triggering thing to stop and look inside of ourselves, to really think about our, our inward thoughts and our motivations to notice those areas of our lives where we've not really followed God with all our whole heart and mind, strength, and soul. Or maybe even you did the right thing, but you know, even though no one else does around you, you did it with the wrong motives. But that's not nearly as much of the problem, right? It, the problem is these Pharisees don't see that. There's no contrition. They, they have no desire or, or need, they think, to put their faith in Jesus because they believe themselves to be above it all. If my life looks good, I am good. And as long as you see me as righteous, I am righteous. I tithe. I'm a weekly attender of church. I give my time to the community. People look up to me. That's enough. See, and this is the problem, I think, with sin, right? We, we, we believe to have it under control. And as long as we look the part out there, as long as we follow all the man-made rules, we're good. And yet Jesus brings us this sense of urgency, this, this heart. He's coming to Jerusalem. He's going to the cross. Time is running out. He says, do you not see how foolish that is? As I said, I went hiking on that hike this weekend, and I got about halfway up. I was sitting on this rock overlooking the other side of the valley, and I opened up to Psalm 144. It says this. It says, man is like breath. His days are a fleeting shallow, shadow. Man is like a breath. His days are a fleeting shadow. We get so caught up in the temporary trappings of this life, we forget eternity is going to be here tomorrow. The Boston Marathon is world-renowned. You know this. People come from all over the world for it. April 21st, 1980, uh, Rosie Ruiz won the, the race in record time, two hours, 31 minutes. So the fastest, one of the fastest women in history to run the race took number three of all time. And as she crossed the finish line, they just adorned her with medals and the media was gathered around. She was famous. The problem is she never run, ran the race. I'm still to this day, no one knows why. Some say it was to oppress her coworkers. Her boss had helped fund the trip. But rather than run the course, Ruiz had snuck into the race with just one mile left. The ruse would have worked except uh, she snuck in front of the pack instead of behind the pack. And when she snuck in front of the pack, she accidentally beat her previous time by 30 minutes. The race officials knew this was an impossibility. So by the end of the day, she thought she had fooled everyone around her, but she actually became the fool. It's a sad way to live, I think. You know, none of us are, are perfect. God knows that. The problem with these Pharisees is that they believed they were. 
So a lawyer in the room, he stands up and he tells Jesus, he says, teacher, you better watch your mouth. This isn't just an offense to them. I'm offended too. You went from preaching to meddling. And I love this. Look at the end of this verse 46. Jesus just doubles down. He goes, woe to you too. You've created rules that aren't biblical. Rules that bear people down. You don't even follow them yourself. I think as a church, we should be careful with this one. I could point to all sorts of examples. Let me just pick on parenting, or if you're a grandparent in the room, this is for you too. In fact, it's, I think it's for our whole community. Let me just talk about how we raise our kids in the faith for a minute. Let me ask you this question. Which one would you prefer? You have to pick one. Would you prefer to raise perfect children who follow your every word? Or would you rather raise faithful children who believe in a perfect God? Would you rather raise perfect children who follow your every word? Or would you rather raise faithful children who believe in a perfect God? You see the nuance there? I think if we want the next generation to look the part on the outside, we've got to understand that the real goodness begins within. And so often we play this game of behavioral management while we neglect the passing on of the faith and discipling our kids. We get caught up in our own shame as parents when our, our kids act out, and we, we forget that discipline alone will not change the heart. You know, if you raise a child solely by the law, what is their motivation in keeping the law? I, I don't know how the rest of the church feels about this. My, I absolutely love it when, when my kids or your kids break down on a Sunday morning. I love it. And they have that, like, that moment of like screaming and yelling and kicking. It's not a moment of shame. That's a moment of us raising that child in the faith and community. A moment of where we can teach them grace and truth. Reminds me of the time Doug Samsel came to a parenting conference with his team here at Spring Hill. Doug is a counselor in town and a friend. And, um, I've told some of you this story probably before, but Ch Doug has a son. And when he was young, he was misbehaving. So Doug tells the story how he put him in timeout in the corner. And after a brief time for his son to reflect on why he had gotten time out, Doug went and pulled his child out of time out. He said, you can go play. I'm going to take the rest of the time for time out. He stood in the corner in his behalf. He said his son just stood there staring at him like, wait, what? A teaching opportunity, right? Of God stepping in, in Jesus' name, where our sin should have been placed us there. See, God's law is good for us, right? It is right and good for us to follow the precepts of our creator. But when we make him a sledgehammer, when we add our own bias and our own shame to it, woe to you, Jesus says. God's perfect law is not the issue. It's our interpretation of it. It's that we get so caught up in the outside that we forget God wants to change the heart. So finally, Jesus offers two more woes, and I'm going to sandwich them together for time's sake. The first one I'm going to summarize. He says, woe to you, you honor the lives of the prophets your fathers killed, but you refuse to live by the word they gave you. You make gravestones and pretend that you, you love and honor those before, but you refuse to follow their word. And then Jesus concludes by saying this in verse 52. He says, you've taken away the key of knowledge. What was the word that the prophets gave? What is the key to all knowledge? See, what Jesus wants this pharisaical gathering to understand is that every prophet 
Every rule in the rule book, every word that we see in the scriptures, all purity and righteousness, it's all found in Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus says to them, he says, you did not enter yourselves and you're hindering those who are entering. You strive for purity and perfection and in so doing you've made your life wretched. It's a tough hike, right? I mean, think about it. This isn't probably a meal I'd want to be at. And yet the, the takeaway is life-changing. Right after our passage in chapter 12, Jesus holds up with his disciples, and I'm, I'm sure there was still some thought about, whoa, that was a lot of woes. And Jesus says, let me summarize. He says this. He says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will be revealed or hidden that will not be known. See, I think this meal is as tough as it is for us to chew on. It is a call for us to stop performing and look inward. If your life was anything like mine, and I'm sure it was, we were all raised to be the performer in the room, raised to look the part, to act the part, to, to be the good Christian. But hear this, all those externals mean nothing if on the inside you're still lost in your sins. If in so doing, you, you are doing that to live for your glory instead of his. It's not until we understand our lostness that we can be found. And let's face it, right? Trying to look the part is exhausting. And if that's you, I, I want to invite you this morning to something better. If you've been striving without peace, I want you to know this. God is first concerned with your heart. And the way to make your heart and your entire life whole again is to think about the inside of the dish instead of the out. I want to spend some time in prayer. and Let's just ask God to do that. Will you pray with me? So God, we just join the psalmist in saying, Lord, search us and know our thoughts. God, see if there would be any grievous way in us. And Lord, if there is, would you lead us back in the way everlasting? Lord, we confess that we quickly get caught up in performance and perfection, Lord, and, and trying to look the part and to fit in, to blend with those around us, Lord. But we know that, that first you look within. So God, we just pray, change our heart, God. Make us more like you. God, would you give us lives of gratitude that, that strive to follow after your word, Lord, not for our own glory or our own righteousness, but for your glory. Because in Jesus' name, you have made us righteous. Lord, thank you for that love. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.